0: Of Exodus 17, as you can see on uh, the screen, the, the ESV Bible has this entitled "Water from the Rock." Uh, chapter 17 is broken into two parts. They're both they're roughly the same length. Uh, the other uh, event in Exodus 17 is Israel defeats Amalek. Um, and so we've had a couple of weeks off. So just a really, really, really uh, quick. Review. We were in Exodus 16, obviously, before this, which we did for four weeks. Uh, and that is part of a larger section that includes the end of chapter 15, all of chapter 16, and then the beginning of chapter 17. So this kind of wraps that up. Uh, and you will remember it's these are called the grumbling stories uh, for good reason. Chapter 16 uh, is the one where manna is given, called bread from heaven. Uh, So that's what chapter 16 is. And if if you remember from chapter 16, I think we covered this all four weeks, probably, that that one of the reasons that the Lord um, gives the manna is this, Exodus 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that i may test them will they walk in my instruction or not well that's not a one time thing that happens over and over again during these 40 years as moses makes clear when he writes when he speaks to the people and records what he speaks in in the book of deuteronomy so, uh, Water from the Rock sounds like a pretty good title for, for this, um, and so we'll call it that. This is a really short story, um, and if you think about it and start think, thinking about things related to this, it is referred to many, many, many times uh, in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and even more than the places it's quoted, it's referred to, it's alluded to, uh, in in part of the in all parts of the Bible, in the prophets, again in in the Torah, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus quotes things that were related to to this story, so. Um, Small group we have we're reading reading a little book on Deuteronomy and there was a quote in there that 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 really fits this story and it says this Ability to trust the Lord for the future depends on a right understanding of the past So if we're going to trust the Lord we have to understand the past correctly. It's another way to say that these things were written for our instruction. Right? It, it, it accomplishes the same point. So, um, we have a thesis tonight, or, or a takeaway, or a big idea, whichever way you like to call that, it is this, from this story, that the Lord knows and provides what we need. It's, it's not shocking. We should understand that, but that's really what one of the main things that is, that is taught in this text, that the Lord knows and prom- provides what we need. And, and we'll look at three points there. The first one is what happens when we doubt that he will provide. What happens if we, if we don't believe that he will provide? Secondly, uh, that the Lord is the source. He not only provides for what we need, but he's the source of what we need. And then thirdly, what does it mean if we doubt that the Lord is with us? Or what does it say if we doubt that the Lord is with us? So, the Lord knows and provides what we need. Let's turn to Exodus 17. We'll start in verse 1. We'll work our way through this and cover those three points as we go through, along with some... Uh, additional comments. So, Exodus 17, verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages. So, the wilderness of Sin, uh, that is a place, the Israelites entered that at the beginning of chapter 16. And in that verse, 16.1, it tells us exactly where this is. It's between Elim and Sinai. So there's this little section of wilderness on the Sinai Peninsula that's on the way from the Red Sea um, to Mount Sinai, which is where they're headed. So it's getting closer to Sinai. So they set out, or they moved on from the wilderness of Sinai, by stages. So what does that mean? Well, they did this according to the commandment of the Lord. They moved this on where they were going according to the way that the Lord commanded. Remember that when they came out of Egypt, the people were led by an angel, also led by the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. The pillar moves, it stops, They camp where where the Lord wants them to camp. They walk where the Lord wants them to walk. They move from camp to camp, and that's what it means that they moved by stages. They moved by setting out, by when they moved their camp. So the Lord commands them to move to this place and camp at Rephidim, where there was no water. According to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim, where there was no water for the people to drink. Now, that seems like kind of a bad idea, to camp in in the wilderness, in the desert, where there is no water. We just heard in Kuwait, it's 119 degrees. Um, That's in the area. (laughs) That's not far from here. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever camped before. Have you, has anybody ever been to Death Valley? Anybody? Is it hot there? <laughs> Is it hot there? How about the Dead Sea? Some, some people have been to the Dead Sea. It's hot there, right? How about just, just, if you haven't been to one of those places, how about the Badlands when it's 100 degrees? And you set out on one of those little, those little walks, there's not much grass around, um, other than the water you brought. There isn't any. Doesn't seem like an ideal place to camp. So why would God lead them there? Water is necessary for life. We can't live very long without it. I mean, we're we're kind of lo- that's kind of lost on us because we just have such an abundance of everything, but. Why would God lead them there? And why would he lead them there if he could prevent it? Why would he put them through that? Why would he put them through that trouble if he could prevent it? And he could prevent it. But instead, he leads them there. But there was no water for the people to drink. So Moses, I mentioned in, in Deuteronomy, he actually talks about this. He talks about this section, this grumbling section in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he says, and he says this. So remember, if the, if the reference is in yellow, that means I'm moving out of our text. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his instructions or not, the same thing that we covered in chapter 16, Moses is recounting this and that, saying that that wasn't a one-time thing. He did this over the 40 years. So that we would be humble. So that he could test to know what was in our Hearts. Well, back to Exodus 17. So God had led them from Egypt to this point, to this place where there was no water. But let's just think back about that. They, they came from Egypt, and the first plague was God turns the Nile, the good water, into blood. Okay? When they finally get out of Egypt a, after the ten The ten plagues, they come to the Red Sea. More water. He splits the Red Sea so they can walk through it. And then he brings it back down on the Egyptians. And they move on from there to a place called Marah, which means bitter because it has bitter water. And God makes the water sweet. And then he leads them to the very next place, to Elim. And he has them camp beside twelve springs of water. And now here, where there is no water. But, do we think that God might be making a point here? It kind of seems like it is, that he leads us where He wants to, and He can provide water wherever He wants and to do whatever He wants with that water. God is in charge of His water. His water obeys Him. It does what He says. He's the source of the water. So we need water. It's essential for our lives, the Lord knows that we need water, and the Lord can provide water for his people whenever he wants. So, and that's our, that's our first, that's the, the thesis. The big idea here is that the Lord knows and provides what we need. He knows that. So what happens then When we doubt that he will provide. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. So when I I first read this in the ESV, I thought, Well, that quarrel doesn't sound like a strong enough word here. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses um, so the, the Hebrew word here is, it's, it's reeve. and it means, uh, according to Brown Driver Briggs, it's got four main meanings, it, all based on the word for strive. The first one involves like physical, physical bodily struggle. The second one is that it, happen, it can happen verbally as well, um, and then it's like pleading a case in a, in a lawsuit. Or making a complaint. So the last place this word had been used was um, when Jacob, uh, when Laban caught up with Jacob and searched through all his stuff. and, and And it says this. Then Jacob became angry and contended. So there's the word, contended. And Jacob became angry and contended with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, what is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? So quarrel just didn't seem strong enough for me because it it seemed like, you know, kind of a low-level dispute would be what you would call uh quarrel. Kind of a kind of an argument that that wasn't too bad. You're just kind of quarreling. But as you look it up in all of the Pretty literal English translations um, of the last few centuries, not counting the King James, they all say "quarrel." So, what is the deal there? So, I decided to look the word up in English. Why do uh, I looked it up in Webster's, uh, Merriam-Webster's Thesaurus, and it describes "quarrel" this way: "Quarrel implies heated verbal contention." Stressing strained or severed relationships, which may persist beyond the contention. So I've seen some of those heated verbal contentions that last a long time. So if that's what quarrel means, I guess it works here. Um, it turns out really the reason that I thought quarrel wasn't a strong enough word because I didn't understand the English word very well. Um, I was inadequate in my understanding there. So what happens when we doubt that the Lord will provide? The first thing that we see in our text is that the people quarreled with Moses. And they demanded he give them water. So quarreling is not good. So James writes about quarreling. And again, it granted here, it's going to be a different word, it's in a different language even, but he writes about quarreling, and, and here's what he says, James 4, verses 1 and 2, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you, and actually the word for quarrels in Greek there is, is more like fighting, so what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. That's what we're talking about, with quarreling. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then this little sentence on the end. You do not have because you do not ask. I think James has Exodus in his mind as he writes to us uh, in the New Testament. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And And then Moses asks two questions. Why do you quarrel with me? So he's talking to the people, and he says, why are you quarreling with me? Why are you in a heated verbal contention with me? I can't give you water. Your real heated verbal contention is with the Lord. So, and Moses even goes farther than that, and he says this. Why do you test the Lord? What happens when, if we doubt that, that he will provide? That's the next thing. We test the Lord. When we doubt that he will provide for us. So God tests us, we've seen that, but is it okay for us to test him? Again, Moses, writing later uh, in Deuteronomy, writes this, You shall not put... Yahweh, your God, to the test as you tested him at Massah. Well, this is Massah. This is the place. Don't do this. Moses specifically says, don't do this like you did there. And Jesus quotes that. If it sounds familiar, if you, if this sounds familiar, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. It's because that's what Jesus says when, when Satan says to him, Just throw yourself off. The angels will catch you. God has put his angels, given them charge to protect you. Just throw yourself out. And he says, Do not put your Lord, God, to the test. But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses. So, what happens when we don't? When we doubt the Lord's going to provide, we grumble. So, we've been trying to get away from grumbling. Some of us hear grumble once in a while, um, but these guys are grumblers. A lot of us are grumblers. And as we've talked about before, that, that you know we keep running into this week after week, and as much as we try to avoid talking about it, it's here again and again. So as much as we're tired of hearing about it, God isn't tired of telling us not to grumble. So what does grumbling actually do? Well, it brings focus on me. Poor me. So if it does that, It takes focus off God. So it it makes it so that we don't pay, pay attention to the Lord and pay attention to who he is. It makes us ungrateful. It makes us disregard his promises, like that he's going to care for their needs all the way along. It robs him of the praise that we should be giving him. That's what it does. So, grumbling is a great tool of Satan. And it's just not good. So, God tells us that He records this, actually. He records this story, it says in 1 Corinthians, so that we, so that we won't grumble. Tells us that that's what happened. So, what happens when we doubt that He will provide for us? All of those things. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are ready to stone me. Back from James. You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. So that's what Moses is concerned about. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not Ask, and Moses says, What shall I do for this people? So the the Lord is the source for what we need. The Lord provides what we need, and He's also the source of what we need. What shall I do for this people was Moses' question, and here's how the Lord answers it in verses 5 and 6. So, Moses is concerned that the people might kill him. They might stone him. And so here's what the Lord says. Pass before the people. So I know you think they might stone you, but pass before the people. Taking with you some of the elders. So pass before the people, take some of the elders. Take your staff, the one which you struck the Nile and go in other words go away from them walk in front of them with you with the elders and your staff and go and behold i will stand before you there on the rock at horev and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. So, the most important thing is the Lord saying, I will stand, or I'm about to stand before you on the rock by Horeb. And so, if you know what, if you remember where Horeb is, it's also Sinai. So, they're close to there. And Moses has been there before. He knows where, probably knows where this rock is. He knows. But he gives him one thing to do strike. The rock. So those five things, that's the fifth thing that Moses is supposed to do when he says, you shall, what shall I do for this people? Five things. And water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So what does that mean? That means Moses passed before the people. That means he took some of the elders with him. Just as the Lord had said, that means he took his staff along, that means he went, that means that he struck the rock. And then water came out. So Moses did exactly what the Lord tells him to do. But he does it in the sight of the elders. So the people aren't there. The rest of the people aren't there. They, the, the elders are there. They're the witnesses to this. And God has been including the elders from time to time uh, in consultation with, with Moses. And he has a plan for the elders of Israel. So if you're thinking of this is the place where Moses strikes the rock and then doesn't get to enter the promised land, that's in a different place. That's in Numbers That's much later than this. And it's not only in a different place in the Bible. It's in a different location. It's not the same location. But our point is that the Lord is the source of what we need. So where where did the water come from? So I'm not sure how familiar you are with this area of Sioux Falls, but people drill wells in this region. There's a lot of rock below us. So... Um, had a well driller one time uh, said "You know, we're going we're gonna to drill we can drill a well wherever you want it doesn't have to be in any spe- specific place but until you get to 400 feet you're not going to get enough water you're going to drill through 330 feet of rock and then there's going to be water there so 400 feet at 390 feet, we had one gallon a minute. <laughs> At 410 feet, we had 300. There was water in those rocks. So that is that what this is about? That Moses just had to hit the rock in the right spot? Or hit the rock hard enough uh, so that the water would come out? His staff wasn't, you know, 400 feet long. So there's nothing magical about the staff. It's just that the Lord is the source of that water. That's where it came from. It doesn't matter how it got there. It doesn't matter. When, when God created, back in Genesis, he put water above the earth, he put water on the earth, he put water under the earth. God can call that water up anytime he wants to, or he can make new water. God can do whatever he wants, with water. So if you, were, if you are reading the, the McShane Bible reading plan, uh, I mentioned that, that this, this is alluded to in many other places. So in the McShane reading plan um, on July 6th, which was just four days ago, you would have come to Jeremiah 2, which talks about the Exodus. And it says... This, in part of it, a little bit later after, after Jeremiah has, has spoken about Exodus, uh, it says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the source of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, obviously, Jeremiah is not talking just about physical water here. He's talking about spiritual water. They have they have forsaken the Lord and are trying to deal. They're, they're bringing in other gods, other things to worship, other things to meet their need, other things to meet their thirst, and that's like trying to hew out. A cistern out of rock when you have living water right there. And God says, Why? This is a terrible thing that my people have done. I am the source of the water. Not just physical, spiritual. So everything that we do trying to find satisfaction from whatever it is is like trying to dig a cistern in a rock. And then when you get it dug, you find out it's broken. It doesn't do anything for you. So Paul writing in Exodus um, or in First Corinthians writing about Exodus writes this for I, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud in the, and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. We we read this uh, when we were talking about passing through the Red Sea and all drank the same spiritual drink so Paul even sees that there's something more going on here and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and that's based on some extra biblical uh, ideas And the rock was Christ. So the thought is there anyway that that, that Paul is is referencing something that's extra-biblical, but maybe not. He's talking about a spiritual rock. He's talking about a spiritual drink, that Christ was there. Christ was the source of their life in that time. And, and what Paul's point is there is that you can drink of the spiritual drink. You can you can be part of that thing, and there's a way not to get any benefit from it. Um, because most of these people, God was not pleased with, and they died in the wilderness. So, even though they had that, so it isn't just enough to be around it. We have to trust Jesus as the as the living water. We have to come to Him and surrender to Him and let Him be our Lord and Savior because He's the only one. Anything else, anything else, is hewing out cisterns that break. So finally, um, one verse left. What does it mean if we doubt? that the Lord is with us. So if we doubt, if we wonder, if we say, Lord, are you are you there? Are you really there? What does that mean? Here's what verse 7 says. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord. So Massah, the first one, means tested or test. And merivah means quarrel, so they're kind of in, they're, they're separated, they're like a masah means this, merivah means that. And they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So this verse summarizes the whole thing that we've just been talking about for this, this, this section. So the real issue, the real test that that they were trying to test him with is is this. Is he really here or not? Is the Lord with us or not? They were doubting him. They were doubting. They didn't believe him. So probably one of the best quotes on this passage um, and about this comes from John Calvin. He writes this. The root of the whole evil was their unbelief. That's why they did all these things. Because they neither ascribed due honor to God's power, that he could do this, nor believed him to be true to his promises. That is putting the Lord to the test. In what didn't they believe? They didn't believe the Lord provides what we need. Knows what we need and provides it. They didn't believe that. They didn't trust that. So as we think about that, just just think about the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Do not worry then. Saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. In other words, the people that don't know me eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So we'll just close, close with that quote that, that we started with. The ability to trust the Lord for the future depends on a right understanding of the past. So let's close in prayer and then we'll have uh, Brooks and, and Megan come. Father, we do uh, thank you for this that you have written for our instruction, that this story in Exodus is to shape our minds the way that we think uh, about how good you are and how powerful you are and how you care about our every need. And that not only do you care about them, but you actually know what we need more than we need. And you provide for those needs. And so, Lord, we thank you for your provision for us. Lord, and we pray uh, for the remainder of this evening uh, that your spirit would be here uh, as we learn from Megan and Brooks about their ministry. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.